0: set free according to Romans 8 verse 2 we've been set free by God's life giving spirit from sin as well as from death which means that through God's saving work in Christ God's will God's design God's purpose is to set us free and to liberate us from all all the defiling corrupting effects of sin which includes liberty from death as well how is this going to happen? Well, in Romans 8, verse 3, for what the law could not do when it was weak through the flesh, God did. God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Not even the law could do. Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh, the weakness of our existence as human creatures, for what the law could not do when it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on an account of sin. That would be our sins. God condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned and judged my sin and your sins in the flesh of Jesus when he died for us on the cross. And then comes Romans 8 verse 4, that glorious statement of purpose. In order that, for the purpose that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, it might be carried out, it might be expressed in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to God's Holy Spirit. So let's study these verses this morning. If we can, maybe we'll study from verses uh, 4 through verse 11. If you will, just uh, allow me to read those verses, starting in verse 4. Let me just read through verse 11, and let's see if we can focus on these verses this morning. So beginning in verse 4, that statement purpose, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds Lord God, we pray that we might understand these words and better appreciate the wonderful and glorious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So I have uh, four points. uh, Sometimes I like to have an outline to keep me organized. At other times I realize that maybe outlines are not all that important. Let's just study the Word of God. But sometimes I like to have an outline to just help me stay organized and stay on track as the Word of God is preached. So... Number one is simply we have a new power. A new power. We have, we have the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 4, uh, this great statement of purpose as to why God sent Jesus and put him on the cross to pay for our sins. It's so that the righteous requirement of the law might be actually fulfilled, might be carried out. In other words, we can start living righteous lives. And we might start doing God's will for us who do not walk. We do not live. We do not take each step of our lives day by day according to the flesh but according to God's Holy Spirit. So God has given us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is that new power that enables us to keep God's law and do God's will. Left to ourselves, we would not be able to do so. So in this passage, you can't help but notice the contrast. We have those who are envisioned as walking according to the flesh, as opposed to those who walk according to the Spirit. Now, who are those who walk according to the flesh? Unbelievers. Non-Christians, they can't help but walk according to the flesh because that's all they have, they are flesh. Christians, on the other hand, believers in Christ Jesus, they have been given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. So they are the ones who are walking, present tense verb here. They are walking, they are living each day of their lives according to the Holy Spirit because they have the presence of God's Holy Spirit with them. Now how might we think of or define flesh? Well, flesh is our human weakness. So those who walk according to the flesh are those who walk or live according to human weakness. They don't have God's power and they don't have God's help. So how can they do anything else but walk according to human weakness? In fact, this might help us to understand why unbelievers behave the way they do. Why non-Christians think so much differently than Christians and why they behave and have a whole different set of values. According to verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law is going to be fulfilled in us Christians. And we Christians, we do not walk, we do not live according to the flesh. We do not live according to uh, sinful human nature. We do not live according to human weakness. We do not live according to our lives uh, and, and all of their frailty and weakness. But we live according to and by means of God's powerful Holy Spirit. So that's what makes all the difference. Uh, notice, if you will, in, in verse uh, 9, uh, but you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. So we are we are now living our lives in the realm, in the power, in the sphere of the activity of God's Holy Spirit. We have the help and the sustenance and the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, So we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God now dwells in you. So we have this sense on the one hand, God's Spirit dwells in me, and I am in the Spirit. It's just a way of stating God's uh, work that he's performing in our lives through his Holy Spirit. And then in verse 10, we have the reference to Christ in you, uh, God's power working in us. It's as if Christ is actually living in us and his life is being uh, worked out in us and through us verse 11, we have that reference again to the Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does. So we have this uh, reference a number of times of God's Spirit dwelling, residing in us. God's Holy Spirit coming to make his home in my life and in your life. That means, by the way, our body is a temple. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So number one, we have new power. Number two, we have a new pursuit A new set of direction or a new new set of goals, a new set of values in life. If you will, notice verse 5. Notice it begins with the word for. It's an explanation of what's gone before. For those who live according to a certain standard. What's that standard? For those who live according to the flesh. Those who live according to human weakness. Those who live... Uh, according to their sinful human nature, are going to set their minds, they're going to set their goals and their values and their priorities and their aspiration and their interests on the things of the flesh, the things of flesh, the things of human weakness. But those who live according to the standard and the power of God's Holy Spirit, they're going to set their mind and their goals and their values and their ambitions on the things of the Spirit. So I wrote in my notes, I I tried to write down a description of what it would be like to live according to the Spirit. So this is what I wrote down. Those who live according to the flesh. Well, let's do the flesh first, and then we'll talk about the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh are going to set their interest on the things of the flesh. So what are the interests of fallen, sinful human nature? What what, what are the interests of, of human life lived apart from God and apart from God's revelation and apart from God's grace and goodness? will it be characterized by these things? Self-preservation, self-satisfaction, self-gratification, self-fulfillment, self-promotion. You kind of get the idea that when we live our lives according to the flesh, which we can't do and shouldn't be doing... Because we have the spirit. We Christians, we live our lives according to the spirit, but it's the unbelievers who live their lives according to the flesh, and they're living their lives according to self-preservation, self-satisfaction, self-gratification, self-fulfillment, and self-promotion. It's all about me. It's all about just wanting to survive and live and get what I can get for myself. Of course, unbelievers do show some measure of charity and goodness and pity on those who have needs. But life lived according to the flesh is basically selfish because it's life lived apart from God. On the other hand, those, according to verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit are going to set their mind. They're going to set their goals and their values and their priorities and their interests and their aspirations on the things of the Spirit. Why? How? Because they have the Spirit. God has given us the gift of the Spirit. So the Spirit's working in me to change my mind and change my thinking and to change my interests and my goals and my pursuits. So when we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, we're setting our mind on the things of God. When we set our mind on the things and our interest on the things of the Spirit, we're setting our mind on the things of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think of Romans uh, chapter uh, 14, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says there, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we set our mind and our interest on the things of the Spirit, we're setting our mind on the interest of the things of the kingdom of God and His righteousness and the peace and the joy that He wants us to experience as we trust in Him and do His will. By the way, we read earlier the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness, and kindness, and faithfulness, and meekness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we set our mind and our interest on the things of the Spirit, we're setting our mind and our interest on the things that God wants done in our lives. We're setting our mind and our interest on in God himself and on Jesus himself. And we know that it's the will of God to transform us into Christ-likeness. So as believers, we have the gift of God's Holy Spirit who's working in us to change us and to transform us. We live with new pursuits. Now notice the outcome. Paul takes a a time here, he spends a few verses mentioning the outcome. If someone is going to pursue and live their life according to the flesh, someone's going to pursue the flesh and live their life according to sinful fallen human nature and just live their lives according to human weakness apart from God's help and saving grace in Christ, What's the outcome going to be? Well, let's notice that. Paul says to be, be, this is verse 6, by the way, for to be carnally minded, or to have the pursuits of the flesh, to pursue the things of the flesh. Now keep in mind, the flesh is just human weakness, lived apart from God, living living our lives according to ourselves. Uh, For to be carnally minded, as the text says here, to live our lives according to the pursuits of the flesh, leads to what? leads to death. Back in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23, uh, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just for a person just to pursue life and live life on their own, for their own satisfaction, for their own merits, uh, to live life in all of their own weakness apart from God, any help from God, it's to end in death. But on the other hand, in verse 6, on the other hand, To be spiritually minded or to live life according to the interest and the pursuits of the spirit leads to what? Life and peace. God wants you to have life. God is is for life. God wants you to have life in its fullest. And and through faith in Christ we become alive to God. We're able to respond to God. And we have this gift of eternal life. And God is, is blessing us and sustaining us and keeping us and watching over us and providing for us. And our life truly is interested in God and interested in the Lord Jesus Christ because we have the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, To be spiritually minded, to have the mind and the pursuits and the goals of the Holy Spirit leads to life. and, And also what? Peace. Peace. That's important. We get to live our lives in peace. We have peace with God through faith in Jesus. We're reconciled to God, but we also get to have that peace that surpasses all human understanding as we pray, as we trust in God to meet our needs and to provide for us. We can have this peace That the Holy Spirit gives to those who have him in their lives. And notice Paul goes on and he he discusses again the the, the terrible outcome of living life simply according to the flesh without God's help in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, Because the carnal mind, the mind, the thinking, the pursuit of the flesh, the mind, the thinking, the pursuit of a human life uh, lived in all of its weakness apart from God's help is, is enmity against God. It's antagonistic to God. It just doesn't want God. And then he goes on to say, For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It's like sinful human nature. It's just wild. It's just out of control. It doesn't want God. It doesn't want to submit to God. It doesn't want to obey God. It's simply enmity against God. It's antagonistic to God. And so then we have a a summary statement in verse 8. The Apostle Paul uh, comes to a conclusion about the flesh. And it's not a very good one. He says in verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh, We, We just cannot please God. We can't. We simply can't. Those who are unbelievers cannot please God. Because they're living their life purely on the realm, purely on the plane of the flesh. Their own human weakness, their own achievements. They're living by their own sinful human nature. They can't please God. So, as Christians, we have a new pursuit in life. New passions, new goals, new desires because of God's Holy Spirit. All right, number three. Moving along here. We're a new possession. We're a new possession. Now notice verse 9. But notice how the Apostle Paul now stops talking in the third person. And now he he starts talking in the second person. He makes it real personal. He says in verse 9, But you, you Christians at Rome to whom I'm writing, you are not in the flesh. You're not living your life in the realm, in the sphere of flesh. You're not living your life in the realm, in the sphere of human weakness. You're not living your life in the sphere of of sinful human passions, uh, bereft of God's help in Christ. No. But you are in the Spirit. You're living your life in the realm, and the power of the Holy Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, notice this next statement. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not his. In other words, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Conversely, anyone who does have the Holy Spirit, anyone who does have the Spirit of Christ, does in fact belong to Jesus Christ. Be comforted by that statement. As Christians in Christ Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a sign, a symbol, you might say a guarantee that we belong to Jesus Christ. And I want you to say to yourself today, how good, how good it is for me to belong to Jesus Christ. I do not belong to myself and I'm not living my life according to my own weakness and my own frailty. I'm not living life according to fallen sinful human nature, bereft of God's help. I'm living my life in the spirit. The spirit dwells in me and I belong to Jesus Christ. Wow. That's big. That's good. That's great. That's wonderful. There's no better place for us to be than to be in the spirit. There's no better place for us to be than to be in Christ Jesus. There's no better uh, spiritual experience than to have Christ in me, which Paul says in uh, Colossians uh, 2 is the hope of glory. So we have a new possession. We are possessed and owned by Jesus Christ. Number four, we are a new person. And I've sort of already alluded to this before, but I'm thinking of all those references to where the Spirit dwells in me, or I am in the Spirit, or Christ is in me, as we have it in in, uh, uh, verse 10, if Christ is in you. So just think about that for a moment. I'm in the Spirit, the Spirit is in me. I'm in Christ Jesus, which is Paul's frequent expression, that, uh, that I'm in Christ Jesus and Christ is in me. Sometimes he puts it that way as he does here. So what does that mean? It means that Christ dwells in me and he's living out his life, the life of the Son of God, in me, to make me different, to change me, to make me think differently, to make my behavior different, to make my words and my speech different. And so I have Christ in me, and that means Christ is in me and all of his power and all of his love and all of his mercy and all of his grace, Christ in all of his fullness, Christ and all of his beautiful attributes, is in me working out the wonder of his will and his purpose. Wow. You see, Christians can now, we can live to please God, not because we're so strong or wonderful or so smart or so good. No, we can live and please God because God has given us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And he's making us into a new person. Notice verse 10, if you will. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. So I think Paul is saying here, the body body is still subject to death because of sin. We we still have sin with us. We haven't been set free from the very presence of sin. That won't happen until Jesus comes. The body is dead. The body is still subject to death. The body is still a mortal body because of sin. But we do have the spirit. And what does the spirit do? But the spirit is life. The spirit gives me life. The Spirit enlivens me. The Spirit gives me life in relation to God. The Spirit is life because of righteousness, because God has declared me righteous. God has put me in the right with himself through faith in Christ. Finally, number five this morning, we have a new perspective. Verse 11. And again, Paul is is just addressing the problem of human weakness, which includes the problem of sin, our sinfulness, and our rebellion against God. He's addressing that problem of our inability to please God. He's addressing the full gamut, the full spectrum of what it means to be weak, uh, to be to be to have flesh, and what it means in relation to God. And he comes to verse 11, says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, the Spirit does dwell in us. So what does that mean? It means that He who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Remember back in verse 10. The body is dead because of sin. The body is still subject to death because of sin. Our body is still a mortal body right now. But God's going to take care of all that. God's got that problem covered. The same Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is the Holy Spirit that's going to give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in us. See, Romans 8 is all about life in the Spirit. God has given us His Holy Spirit. So that we don't have to live our lives in all of the weakness of human flesh. God is merciful. God is compassionate. And so I think this morning we should just be profoundly thankful. God, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is sort of going off of what Paul said in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. Has liberated me has torn the bars away from what? The power of sin and the power of death. In verse 11, is speaking to that power of death. Power of death is working in us because of the power of sin. Finally, the curse of sin will be lifted when Jesus comes the second time. But the gospel is all about freedom, not freedom to do what we want as some people in our society envision it. The gospel is all about being free to love and serve God and do His will. It's about being free from evil, free from sin, free from selfishness, and yes, free from the power of death to have the final say in our lives. Well, this is all a testimony to God's profound goodness. Romans 8 is, is telling us what it means to live under god's grace to live under god's goodness to live under god's generosity and god was just pleased to give us his holy spirit the second the third the third member of the holy trinity to be with us so that our bodies are like a holy temple to do for us all the things we can't do for ourselves so let's as we close in prayer let's just be thankful let's just praise god and thank god thank you lord for setting me free from sin and death and giving me the gift of your Holy Spirit so that I am empowered to live for you and please you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this this just Romans 8 is just filled with so many wonderful truths, Lord. I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around all that is here. But Lord, we we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts that being in Christ Jesus, you're not condemning us for our sins anymore. There's no condemnation to us. There's no more threat and dread and tyranny of being punished and suffering your wrath for our sins because Jesus did that for us. And Lord, we thank you that you have given to us your Holy Spirit. So as Christians, we're not living in the flesh anymore. We're living in your spirit. The Spirit dwells in us, and and Lord, you're giving us the power and the strength and the ability and the will and the desire and the goal and the aspiration to please you. So Lord, may your Spirit find a welcome home in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for that happy prospect of being raised from the dead should we die. And so Lord, I pray that we would cherish all of these truths. And leave this place this morning praising you and thanking you for the wonder and the depths of your goodness and your generosity. Lord, you know all of our needs. And in Romans chapter 8, we see you meeting and addressing our biggest and greatest needs of all. And we say thank you a million times over. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The final hymn expresses more good news. The king of love, my shepherd, is. Uh The person who's shepherding me in this life and the person who's shepherding you, who saved your soul, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of love, my shepherd is. Hymn number 514. 514. And let's stand.